Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. Are these your notes? These these your notes about what we're going to say? What does it say? It would be a good. (laughs) I didn't even get to idea. Maybe I can just ask you the question. (laughs) It's going well. It's going really well. (laughs) Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. I'm Emma. And I'm Jamie. And today we are joined by Nima Shah, the author of Kololo Hill, which has been selected as a top pick for 2021 by Foils, Daily Mail, The Irish Times and Cosmopolitan. Hi, Nima. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. Um, So your book, Kololo Hill, it's set in 1970s Uganda during obviously the brutal regime of Idi Amin. And for the listeners, do you think you could please give us a quick blurb of your story? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it starts off in 1972 in Uganda um, and it's centred around um, a recently married Asha and her husband Pran, um, who are forced to leave everything behind except their devastating secrets. Um, it's a personal story in, in, in terms of looking at them and their family, but it's obviously set against this real-life backdrop of the Ugandan Asian expulsion. Mm. Um, and as you say, so Idi Amin gave um, 80,000 Ugandan Asians 90 days to leave, and they were only allowed to take £50 each um, out of the country. So. That's about a thousand pounds each. Yeah, a thousand pounds in today's money, apparently, which is, which is quite frightening. Even you know, accounting for inflation and all the rest of it, it's just a crazy, crazy amount. So yeah. um, the story then sort of moves, and it's not a spoiler to say this because it is about also the Ugandan Asians in Britain. So it looks at, well, first of all, whether they will get out, and if if and when they do. Um, what happens next, how they they um, get used to a whole new life in a new country. Um, and so that was that was kind of the starting point of the story. And then I just look at all the different, the cultural elements. I look at obviously the secrets that they're hiding and, and, and what, what happens around that as well. The devastating secrets. That the devastating hiding, they are, yeah. yes. That's the important detail. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's why I wanted to make sure it wasn't, you know, because it, with historical fiction, there's always that danger of it becoming quite a dry sort of narrative around this happened and this happened and, and mm. this happened and, and, you know, it just becomes almost like a news report. Yeah. Um, so I'm try- I tried to bring in that emotional element of what actually happened for individuals and what it might have felt like for anyone to go through something like that. And is it right um, that your book draws from inspirations if your own life and, and your family as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, my um, grandparents left Gujarat, India in in World War Two to start new lives in, well, they, they left for Kenya and Tanzania, but East Africa has a lot of similar cultural um, connections, I guess. And right. uh, so my extended family went to Uganda. Um, and then, you know, my parents came over here and I was born in, in London, but... Um, we spent a lot of family holidays, particularly in Kenya and 
even though obviously my ancestors are Indian, I feel that Kenya in particular is my second home more so mm-hmm. than India. Um, yeah. And I didn't go to India until I was in my 20s. My mum never visited India until she was in her 40s. And I wanted yeah, wow. to, with the characters, I wanted to sort of bring that culture to life because it is a very unique culture. You know, we have certain Swahili words that have been infused into our Gujarati language. Um, the food as well is a bit of a mix. So we have all of our Gujarati recipes, but we've also got some which are, um, you know, include things like mogul cassava, um, which is obviously an East African staple and and then it's sort of Indianized, I suppose. So things like that that I really wanted to bring to life about this culture, which is quite different to those who've come over from the Indian subcontinent. Mm, um, yeah. And and yeah, so that was kind of the part of the inspiration. And then this whole new story around Ugandan Asians just always fasc- well, fascinated me and horrified me, I suppose. And I thought it'd be interesting to look at that in more detail. And yeah, definitely. Like your book really obviously um heavily relies on research and we were wondering what is what's your approach to research or what was your approach to it yeah. during this process and like how was that process for you? Is it something that you found quite easy or Yes, I mean I love research and I am essentially a historical fiction writer and my next book will be historical fiction so I love research I don't think you should set yourself up to be a historical fiction writer unless you really love it the problem obviously (laughs) is knowing when to stop researching and get on with writing um Mm. but for me because this is the first book I wrote and I obviously I didn't have an agent I wasn't sure if it was ever going to get published to start with my research was a little bit more tentative so I read books, obviously, tried to find documentaries online or on YouTube, on BBC and so on. I also um, managed to find quite a few first-hand interviews that had been recorded as part of a research project. Um, you know, first-hand uh, interviews with Ugandan Asians who'd, who'd come to Britain. So that was really helpful because it was quite a lot of different interviews and it gave me more of a multifaceted view of that experience so I watched a lot of that there's hours and hours and hours of footage so I looked at that but there came a point where I think I could have I could have written this book without having visited Uganda but I didn't feel that it was quite right to do that and you know I was fortunate enough to be able to go and spend a week in Uganda Um, but that was not till I'd written a second draft and so by that point it was almost like the book was coming to life around me you know everything I'd researched was coming to life around me um you know whereas I suppose a lot of writers might try and research early on before they even write to words so um but you know there are definitely ways to do it without having to visit a country or a place and especially nowadays with google earth and all the youtube all the youtube content that you can get and blogs and things like that that you can bring places to life without necessarily having visited, but I think it always adds an extra dimension. Yeah, it's never going to be the same no. as like being there and kind of breathing exactly. it all in. I, presumably you went to Kololo Hill. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I I spent most of my time in Kampala, which is and Kololo Hill is one of the hills of Kampala, the seven okay. uh, main hills. So I went there and I spent time in the city centre, where which is also referenced in the book, and also Lake Victoria, which is where the book starts. Um, uh, and, you know, it's quite different there. It's it, Lake Victoria is actually a massive lake. And if you're actually standing on the banks, it feels more like a, the sea because it's so <laughs> big. You can't see across to the, to the other side or anything. So um, it was really interesting to go and explore that. And there are certain lines and details um, 
in the book, which I wouldn't obviously have been able to write, and um, sensory details in particular, without sure. having gone to yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, doing the research element of a novel like this, I guess it, it, it makes you so that you're enabled to really immerse yourself into the experience and you yeah. feel like you're you're really in the writing, would you say, rather than it just being sort of a um, yeah. another world, you know, yes, <laughs> um, that you're creating. It really makes it real for you, which is great. Yeah, I think so. I think what also I'd, I'd suggest to writers is to realise that Sometimes, uh, certainly in my early drafts, I didn't quite feel the story completely. And it took a couple of drafts of getting to know the characters, writing a bit more before I felt I was, as you say, immersed in that world. And I don't Mm. think people should worry too much if they don't fully feel it straight away, um, because you're trying to build up that world for yourself and then for the reader yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And and you you do a lot of um, you write a, a mentoring blog or a like a, a yeah. blog that mentors and helps people. Did you um pull on you know any any sort of mentoring in your book writing or throughout your process getting into writing your novel? Um, yeah, I've had quite a lot of support. I w- I'll definitely say that I didn't have a mentor as such, but um, I you know, I took advantage of what I could. So there was, for example, um, Spread the Word, which is a London-based organisation, but I believe there are similar ones across the UK, actually. Um, They were doing uh, a thing where they matched agents, it was an agent in particular, with underrepresented writers. So I applied for that and they were able to then look at my three chapters and my synopsis and so on. So um, definitely look out for things like that, even if you can't find longer term mentoring. Um, I was able to get a bit of feedback through competition um, listings, actually. So when I when I got shortlisted onto the Bath Novel Award, for example, um, they they give you feedback as part of being on the shortlist. So obviously, I can't not, not everyone's guaranteed that, but that was really helpful before I sort of submitted to agents. Um, and I am I am now just running a, a mentoring scheme, actually. Yes for other um, writers so underrepresented writers can can write they can find out more about it through my website so nimashar.com because um, I wanted to give something back uh, especially to underrepresented writers who um, who might not have access to some of the tools that that um, some authors do so I just wanted yeah. to make yeah. was giving back on that side yeah that's, that's brilliant. great thank you and um, speaking of uh, the awards that you were shortlisted for the Bath Award, but you've also been, I was looking on your website, this book has been shortlisted for, shortlisted, longlisted, won or runners up for a handful of different awards, which is amazing. Uh, Very well done. I was wondering, those competitions, did you enter all of them before you got an agent? And did did getting an agent have anything to do with um, your success in those competitions? Yeah, I mean, it's still a bit surreal when I think about that. It was a bit of a strange year because I obviously applied to all those competitions in the one year. Um, and I can't deny there is obviously an element of luck in any competition and even having the means to be able to enter these competitions. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing, actually, I'd say is that um, there are a lot of bursaries and uh, free entries for that have been sponsored by other people. So if for example, if there's people listening who might want to take part in competitions but feel that, you know, it's outside of their sort of ability to spend a certain amount of money, then 
often certainly bath novel award often has those sorts of things so yeah. it's definitely worth looking at those but in terms of my listings um yes i did get some interest because a lot of the judges are often agents or editors um i did get some interest and requests for full as a result of that as it mm. happened i got my agent through the, sp- the slush pile um it wasn't one of those agents i did write to a, a fair few agents during my process um and most of the entries were before i had an agent yes um i have i do know people that have ended up getting agents through competition prizes um, it really just depends, you know, and ultimately it depends what, what agents are judging and what, what they're looking for and so on. Yeah. Um, and what the industry is looking for yeah, at that specific time. Exactly. For but sure. it definitely helps in terms of the cover letter. So being able to write, you know, it shows that you take your craft seriously to be listed. Mm-hmm. So um, that that definitely helped me, I think, with with getting an agent. And do you think you wrote, did you write a lot of stories before this or was this like something that you'd always wanted to write and then you spent a like it was like a labor of love (laughs) Um, yeah Yeah, well I only started writing again in my late 30s so I wrote I started writing about um, five years ago so I hadn't written since school and I didn't think I was particularly good at writing it's really strange and the only reason (laughs) I got back into writing was because um at work they give us a hundred pounds and they call it me money and you can do it in any sort of extracurricular activity you want and I decided to do creative writing mainly to help with my day job which is in marketing and I'd forgotten that and as soon as I wrote I had to write a piece obviously for that and I've forgotten how much I loved writing and what a buzz you get Mm. um and from that, you know, at the back of my mind, I'd always thought there's no, there's no books about the Ugandan Asian expulsion. There's very few books about the East African Asians. And I found that a bit strange as well, because they, you know, there are many people that have come over from East Africa to yeah. the UK with British passports, like my parents. And so I started thinking I might be able to write that story. And over time, yeah, I, I guess I started to take it a bit more seriously and, and this is, yeah, the, the first set of stories and that became a novel, really, for me. Um, so, yeah, I hadn't anticipated becoming an author until re- very recently. That's great. I know, you sort of uh, embarked on that and now you are where you are. I mean, that's the dream, right? Um, what do you think were your main challenges getting into the industry, if there were any? Um, so when you like obviously decided to to that you wanted to write this and research did you come over any main challenges in terms of getting an agent or publishing or you know anything like that yes I think I think any writing process is going to come with its challenges and I suppose what we've talked (laughs) about so far maybe makes it sound a bit like a you know a a film type situation (laughs) where I've got an agent and now I've published and um, like any writer there (laughs) there's ups and downs so firstly obviously writing whilst holding down a day job but that's actually the reality for particularly debut authors um and so you know I work full-time in marketing so I used to write on my commute that that in itself you know you need to find the energy to do that and and just keep going and that was a challenge sometimes you know it's the last thing you want to do really is sometimes at weekends is to be sitting at a computer and writing but I suppose if you love writing you're more likely to do it and that was the case for me um I think that love comes yeah. through a lot of the time on the page as well. Yeah, I hope so. I think so. Um, yeah, or you or you polish it and edit it out, I guess, any of the problems yeah. and edit it yeah. out. 
Um, but yeah, that was challenging. And the research for Colonial Hill was a challenge as well, because it's not like writing about, um, you know, a story set in World War II where there's just reams and reams of history. Yeah. There's actually very little written down. Um, and I talk a bit about that in the book about how, you know, people were too busy surviving um, to write down stories, you know, and there's a big tradition of oral history in Indian culture and in African culture, actually, more so than writing necessarily. So, so you know, yeah. finding those stories, and especially because they're quite harrowing circumstances, not everyone wants to, wanted to talk about those things. So that was a challenge. And then obviously getting an agent. You know, I've got quite a few rejections, dozens of rejections, um, I did get a few uh, full requests as well for, for manuscripts um, from from the agents. But, you know, it's so easy for everyone to hear all the good stories. It You know, I don't think there's an author out there that hasn't got a rejection before they've managed to get an agent and then an editor and then a publisher. So, yeah, definitely. You know, yeah, it's a hard slog. And it's also very boring by the by the late stages <laughs> yeah. of editing a book. You know, I've looked at my book about 20 times now, and that's probably on the lower side for some people yeah. and I have to say I was just so glad not to have to read it again you know as much as you might love any book that you write um there are boring bits to to being published but you know the other elements make up for that <laughs> yeah 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 in terms of so um first time going through the publishing process going through traditional publishing was there anything once it once the editors had had accepted it and signed on and you and you knew the deal was happening mm. was there anything in that process that kind of surprised you that you weren't expecting um well I suppose well even before then the one surprise was that the book went to auction and that was a very yeah. bewildering experience um because you always hear about other people's books going to auction yeah, yeah. it's going to happen to yours <laughs> yeah. no, exactly that and and also I didn't really know what that I mean I know what an auction is but I didn't know what that actually meant in publishing terms yeah um so it was really you know you get to go and meet each editor and and talk to them about your book and it's very strange as well because it's one of the first times that other people will be talking about your characters as if they're real and it, I yeah. can't tell you how surreal it is to meet any 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 editor and have everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Talk about your book like that. Um, yeah and so that, that must be strange as well because yeah. that's the that's suddenly a point where uh the power dynamic is completely flipped and you're no longer in the position where you're sending your stuff off trying to yeah. get approval from other people and suddenly yes, they're exactly. all kind of prying at you to pick yeah them. yes exactly it's very it's very strange i have to say it's very surreal and that that definitely did surprise me even before um you know i i really feel that i felt i found my home with picador who are publishing me and um, I just felt it was it was right. It was a very strong sort of gut instinct um, with that, and so I was really glad that I picked them. And my editor's been amazing. I'm sure everyone says that, but I genuinely, she <laughs> made this book better, and I think it's reflected in the re reviews I've had so far. But in terms of other surprises, I mean, it is 
it doesn't surprise me that it's a slow process. I knew it was going to be slow, but I think everyone should be prepared for that. Mm. I signed two it's years ago. Yeah, yeah. I signed two years ago to Picador, exactly two years ago. And that is longer than, than some books for sure. And it felt like a long time away, but I'm so glad I had that time because in that time I've been able to start a second book. And, and some people won't necessarily have that luxury of being able to start a second book before oh, the first great. book comes out. Yeah. And so actually I'm really grateful. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm being published during a pandemic and that brings a whole load of other surprises. But but in terms of the publishing process itself, I think it's just being prepared that it's a slow process. You will go back and forth quite a lot. Um, mm. And and yeah, just being prepared for that, really. We've spoken to a couple of other uh, authors who, who have who have recently gone through the publishing for the first time. And yeah. just quickly before we move on. Uh, how did you find copy editing for the first time? Uh, yes. yes. Yeah, I have to say, I don't know. I don't know if it's because I'm writing later in life or I don't know what it is, but I have, I seem to have a thick skin when it comes to these things. Okay. I, can, mm. I seem to have a bit, I guess I can put some distance across it. And I'm, the other thing that I said to not just my editor, but certainly beta readers, early readers of my book before I'd even got an agent is I'd rather know now than when it's published. Yeah. Because, yeah, you know, that's that would be the worst thing. And that that's maybe helped me because, you know, I have I've had some bad feedback and I've had to sort of deal with that and get over it. Um but in many ways that's the most helpful feedback though. Yes, exactly. People giving you compliments is nice, but it's not helpful for the book. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you need to know the bits that need strengthening, especially as a debut author, you know, and, a de- and an early writer. I mean, any time yeah. in your career anyway, but especially before you've even, before you're tried and tested, I suppose, before it's been, before you get any reviews from readers, you need to have an understanding of what's working and what isn't. And so, and, and perhaps it's also helped that the people that have given me feedback so far have all been quite diplomatic um I mean I did say it doesn't matter how brutal it is just give me the feedback and I know that that's <laughs> that's not the case it's hard to hear it sometimes but I'd rather yeah. I'd rather hear it so I'm interested yeah. to know about like the the um the editing process considering you went out and did most of the research how much can another person really edit what you're what your story is like obviously there's some bits that must be really factual and and you've went out and did that research and how can they sort of is it a lot of backwards and forwards between like how uh, yeah how is that that's really interesting actually um I found I think yeah my, my editor my copy editor everyone has been really great and actually although you're right yes in in that sense that a lot of the research is so specific particularly with east african asians it's not like the indian subcontinent where you know it's a bit more familiar even to british readers i guess mm. um but that said you know a good copy editor and my copy editor certainly did this and my proof uh, reader also i think did this you know if they weren't sure of certain certainly i had some swahili words and Gujarati words or i had some references to things that are maybe a bit more unusual they Googled it and they checked it. And actually they did catch a couple of things that I had missed. And that's, that happens okay. with any book, you know, no matter how much you look at it. And I've had my parents read my book to make sure that the East African elements were right. But even then, you know, there's so much, you know, to my hundred thousand words, <laughs> there's, mm. there's so much to keep track of that um, a good editor and, and proofreader will, will catch those things anyway. 
Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's really interesting. So I was just wondering, how does that work out when you're the you're the person that knows the information or the main information. Yeah, I'm just yeah. like, hmm, it's interesting. Um, and also in regards to social media, obviously we know that you're on it, you've got your own website and stuff as well, and you do actively share. But how do you find, it's very controversial social media. So, you know, yeah. some people, authors love it and some hate it and don't want to share. Do you think feel like it's something that's helped you through this process and during this time, especially when you yeah. can't meet people face to face? Yeah, to be honest, not just during this time, but even before that, um, despite how it might seem, I'm actually an introvert. I find sort of, you know, large gatherings quite uh, stressful and and tiring as well, you know. Um, And so social media enables me to, A, write things as opposed to obviously always saying them. And that in itself as a writer is really handy because you can think about what you want to say and get it out there and, and do that. Um, it's also obviously social media is on all the time so you can decide when you want to engage and when you don't and I realize that some people see it as a bit of a negative thing and it definitely can be particularly for authors who are sometimes getting tagged into bad reviews and things like that I think and I've not really experienced that yet but Mm -hmm. I actually have found social media so helpful I've met so many writers and have made you know proper good friends through it I've met them I've been on writing retreats with them and things like that and my writing wouldn't be as good as it is without all of their help and support and all the advice you get particularly on Twitter I think there's a very big author community and writer community on Twitter um, I know people can be a bit frightened of it because sometimes it does get negative and again you know it's just finding the right sorts of people and only engaging with the positive people and not the ones yeah. that will try and drag you down and I'm more yeah. recently trying to get to grips with Instagram, which is a lovely book community. It's less so writers and more book readers, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a bit, I'm, I was a bit apprehensive about Instagram because you know you have to take nice pictures, and I'm not good at taking pictures at all. <laughs> but actually, it's not really about that. You know, it's now short form sort of micro blogging, and you can mm-hmm. write, again, you can write and expand on things that you weren't able to on Twitter. So I yeah. personally think it's beneficial. Um, yeah. And I actually found a lot of friends, sorry, through um, something called uh, CBC Write. So Curtis Brown Creative, they do monthly uh, Twitter writing competitions. So they're micro fiction competitions. Um, So definitely worth having a look at that. And there's others on on Twitter as well. Okay. Speaking of nice pictures, (laughs) I absolutely love the artwork. Oh um, yeah, for your book, I think oh, it's, it's so. so like, I love that yellow and and the kind of little details on it. Yeah, uh, it's great. We, this is something we like to ask uh, d- people going through the process now: is how much say did you get in <laughs> that artwork itself? Yeah, I I know it's my book, and I'm probably not supposed to say things like, but I really love it. And even if I think it's great, it's great. Really it's lovely. Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I can I can say that I guess because it's not. I don't take any credit for the design. Obviously, it was Lucy Scholes actually who uh, designed it. I should say that. And well done, Lucy. Done ama- yes. yeah, an amazing job, and she does a lot of other Picador uh, artwork. Um, so this wasn't the first iteration. I'm I'm sure I'm allowed to say that there were a few <laughs> iterations that it went through. Picador have been amazing, and again, I'm probably just sound like I'm saying this, but they have been amazing in terms of feedback and I know that that's not always the case with with publishers um and I was allowed to input into it to be honest you know it did go through a couple of iterations but 
I really liked the concept. So the this idea of um, for people who haven't necessarily seen the artwork or don't know the, the, the background to it, it's got batik artwork, which is very well known uh, both in Asia and in Africa. So it sort of brings those elements together. But the batik artwork is actually from a British artist, so it brings those three cultures together. Oh, that's oh. lovely. Yeah, yeah, and then it's got, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then it's got little sort of motifs of. Uh, the British passport and an Indian passport so she's done really well to weave it all together and obviously using yellow seems to be a bit of a 2021 color actually for book covers I don't know if you've noticed Um, yeah yellow is a great color at the moment I think it's because it's happy isn't it it's just such a happy color yeah um yeah, no, it's lovely. I love the dot work on the um the the roses or the flowers that are there as yeah, well. Um, yeah. It's really beautiful. And in regards to your front cover, you have like a great tagline that me and Jamie were talking about before you came on the podcast. Um, mm. like when you're left with nothing but your secrets, how do you start again? I yeah. think that's absolutely great. Was that something that you worked with your editor for the front cover, or was that something that was brought to you? That was interesting. So it. That's an adaptation of a line that I used in my pitch. So, you know, the devastating oh, okay. line. So I used that in my pitch in my cover letter to my agent. And then I obviously must have referenced that to uh, Picador as well later on. Um, but then I think they re- rewrote it. I really like it, actually. Um, pitches and, and those sorts of taglines are really hard to do. And I probably mm. shouldn't say that as, as a writer, but I find them so difficult. Oh, it's a real skill to how do you choose that's why it's know, just out of everything how do you choose something that really stands out but I do think yeah. that really does I think it's it's brilliant um, yeah. and I I guess I'm not finally but um I feel like what pieces of advice or three strongest bits of advice would you give to people wanting to embark on um doing a book like yours yeah um I mean I think as far as research goes obviously Take advantage of anything that you can find and think outside the box a little bit. Um, So it doesn't just have to be reading blogs and watching videos. It can be also obviously visiting places. Obviously, that's harder at the moment. But it can also be things like finding recipe books based on the place that you're writing about. Or Oh, that's a good idea. I like that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And even looking at artwork, especially at the moment, a lot of the – art galleries you can look at their artwork online so if there are if there's pieces of art which are about your you know the, the type of character you're writing about you know you'll be able to see the sort of clothing that they wear uh, or you'll be able to see the, the the setting that they're within there's other ways that can not only give you an insight into a period of history but also probably inspire you in a way that perhaps reading a piece of text might not do mm. um so that's, that's a brilliant piece of advice yeah, yeah um, and then the other thing, I know it's a bit boring, but goal setting. I didn't, um, I know that I have friends who write a whole set of goals into Excel spreadsheets and I don't do that. I don't have word count goals for the week and the month and, and the year or whatever. But some people find that really helpful. But I did break down my total word, word count in my head. So I said to myself that I was going to try and do, you know, X number of words per day and X number of words per week because that way, you have a sense of whether you're actually making progress. That said, I wouldn't focus solely on word count because you could write a hundred thousand words, but if they're not <laughs> they're not very strong yeah. words, then it doesn't really <laughs> make a difference. So so don't be too hung up on it, but do try to use it at least as a guide. And then my last bit of um 
sort of my last tip would be free writing. So the first thing I learned in creative writing course, in my creative writing course, and that basically means not looking back over what you've written. Like if you make a typo or a spelling mistake, you don't go back over and you don't look at it again Mm -hmm. until you've got a full draft, which sounds horrific to a lot of people. (laughs) But but I'd never, if I started to edit everything I'd written every day, I would probably still be here trying to write a first draft because it would take so long. At least when you have a chunk of a first draft, you feel like you've made some headway and you Mm -hmm. know then how to take that forward that works for me it might not work for everyone of course so you like to get a flow going and just yeah. stay in that flow. yeah exactly I think it's really good that because I did a little writing course um and I made some good friends from it like a little writing group oh, and we do great. some like free like just a whatsapp group and we actually live all over like America and the UK as well and we do like little free flow sessions so where you have like you know a word or a sentence and then we have to do like 500 words from that or something like that Uh, we try and do it but obviously not every week but it is actually a really good thing to do like what you said I think it enables you at first you think oh no like I've made no this doesn't sound right and it's just good to just free flow and then maybe read it back later on Um, and I think a lot of good ideas came from it from a lot of our group anyway which is really good I like that idea, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. motivating each other as well, that helps, I think. Yeah, yeah definitely find your find your, find your gang, like find people to, to go on the journey with you and Absolutely. you can support each other and help each other out. Yeah, I definitely yeah. agree with that. Well, I think that concludes the bulk of the interview and that means we have just one more question for you, Nina. Oh, the question. Drum roll. <laughs> and the question is, if you were stranded on a desert island with a single book, which book would you choose to take? Well, first of all, this is such a cruel question. I know, we're sorry. Yes. We're sorry. I'm going to try really hard with this one, but I I really struggled, but I will go with um, Fingersmith by Sarah Waters. Um, It's such a good book. It's um, set in Victorian London and... um, I know that lots of people say there's lots of great twists in this book or that book, but honestly, the twists in this book, it's its amazing historical fiction, but the, it's such a page turner. Um, and I think I could read, even if I knew the twists, I would probably read it over and over again just to marvel at how well it's done. I love um, a good twist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I feel that there'll be enough to keep my interest, but let's face it, one book... <laughs> I have to start writing my own what else would I do with the time I know people are trying to kind of get out of the question by saying oh well can I pick one series then that's that's a, and I'm like no no that's not how it works <laughs> you can only pick one book um, oh thank you so much Nima for your time yeah, thank you it's been great thank you yeah. so much fun chatting to keep up with everything that Nima is doing, you can follow her on Instagram at Nima Shah Author or on Twitter at Nima M Shah. And to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Right and Wrong UK and on Instagram at Right and Wrong Podcast. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next one. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.